Well, let me say it one more time, Happy Father's Day. We do want to take a moment to say thanks and honor our dads and fathers and grandfathers. And at the same time, as I mentioned earlier, we recognize that for some people this is probably a difficult day. Maybe you've lost your father, maybe you never really knew your father, maybe your father wasn't such a great father. Maybe you want to be a father and that just hasn't happened yet. And there's probably a number of other reasons this day may be difficult. And we're mindful of that and we want you to know that we're mindful of that and that, that you have a place here of, of people who can sympathize and empathize and walk with you and try to be the heart and the hands and the voice of the God of all comfort to you. So we are mindful of you today. But we're also mindful of our dads and our granddads, and we want to say thanks to them, and we want to acknowledge them, and so we have a little gift for them. So if my helpers could come down and, and be ready to go, we will have the Father stand in just a moment. If you are a grandfather or a great-grandfather or a wonderful grandfather or a good or a so-so grandfather go ahead and stand up right now go ahead and get those joints moving and you're going to stand for a little bit so brace yourself if you need a spotter get someone around you all right look at all this wisdom in this room right here that is wonderful all right now all dads join them in standing if you're a father father figure if you have children if you are a father come join these guys oh that is wonderful I am so thankful for your influence, not just in your family's lives, but your influence in this church family. We need men to serve. We need men to lead. We need men to represent the heart of Christ. And so thank you for the many ways that you do that. We have a, a special gift for you. We know we give roses to moms, and I don't know, maybe you'd like a rose, but our ladies in the office thought, how about popcorn for pop? See what they did there? Popcorn for pop. So if you guys want to go fan out, some, be sure and go to the balcony. Make sure everyone gets who is standing a bag of popcorn. When you get yours, you can be seated. You know, they say you are what you eat. And I noticed that this is skinny pop. Huh? I think that's more prescriptive than descriptive, probably. I did notice they didn't choose smart pop. <laughs> huh. I'm sorry, I don't have any poetry on Mother's Day. We have poetry. I don't have that. I have a few dad jokes, though. How about that while the guys are passing out? Yeah. I was reading a book on glue the other day. Could not put it down. <laughs> right? What do you call a bear that has no teeth? A gummy bear. These are good, right? I can go all day. What did the janitor say when he jumped out of the closet? Supplies. <laughs> Some of you, I see you're writing that down. That's a good one. I'm going to have to use that. <laughs> good job. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Now, if you're going to eat this during the sermon, eat it quietly, okay? Thanks, guys. Good job. Very nice. Nicely done. Did we get everybody? Did we miss anyone? Okay. Very good. Are you guys going to let them have popcorn that's left over, or how does that work? 
Good idea. Just like the roses. He said they'll, they'll post them at the doors, and if you want to take some to bless someone else, that would be great. You can take a bag of popcorn and, and give that to someone else. We do want to offer a prayer over our fathers and our grandfathers, and I think to do that, let's, let's have our fathers and grandfathers actually remain seated. Everyone else stand up if you don't mind, if you're able to. And if your father or grandfather is here and you're nearby and you want to put a hand on their shoulder or your arm around them or hold their hand, that would be great as we pray over these men today. Let's bow together. Father God, we join you in this moment, recognizing first and foremost that you are our Heavenly Father. You are the perfect Father. God, when we want to know what it looks like to be a dad, to be a son, to be a mom, to be a daughter, to be a person living as a citizen of your kingdom, help us, Father, just to look to you. Father, you are a good God. You are the best. And Father, you have blessed us with these men in our lives, and for them we are so thankful. We know, we recognize, as they do, they aren't perfect and yet, Father, they have answered the call you've put on their lives to lead and to serve, to love and to sacrifice. And we thank you for that. We thank you for what we see in them, how we see you in them. We thank you for the things that we have learned and will continue to learn from them. Even long after they are gone, Father, their influence, their legacy, their faithfulness lives on in us and others. And we are thankful. God bless these men. Give them good health. Protect them. Provide for them. Lead them. Father, work in their lives with your spirit. We are thankful for how you work through them and for them. So, Father, we praise your name and pray your blessing over them. In the name of Jesus, amen. How do you respond when God calls you to go? The story of Jonah is about so much more than a big fish. In Jonah's story, we see our own story, our fear, our reluctance, our defiance. But more than that, we see the power and purposes of God. Despite our wavering faith, God's love remains constant. Let's dive into Jonah's story and discover the depths of God's love. My guess is that most fathers over time begin to collect a gathering, a collection of relics and souvenirs and artifacts that bear witness to their role as a father. Things that your kids have given you, things that you have made for your kids, things that you use to help teach or lead or guide your kids. In my truck right now, I meant to bring it in, but I forgot it and I parked way out there so I didn't want to go get it. But I have a little button and that button has been pinned to my sun visor for many, many years. It's a button Riley gave me when he was just a little kid, and it says, number one, dad. And by the way, for all of you other dads, we can look and see if there's like a second place dad button that we can give to you, because I have the number one dad button. But that thing is sun faded. It is, you can barely read it because it has you know, just been in there for so long. But every time I see it, I think about him, and I think about what it means to be a dad. Probably you have some things like that. There was a dad who was cleaning out his garage and he came across a bucket of baseballs. And it reminded him of his role as a father. And he said, I need to do something with these. And so he took them to his local batting cage and he wrote a handwritten note and he taped it to the bucket. And this is what the note said. 
Hope someone can use some of these baseballs in the batting cages. I found them cleaning out my garage. I pitched them to my son and grandson for countless rounds. My son is now 46 years old and my grandson is 23. I am 72 and what I wouldn't give to pitch a couple of more buckets to them. They have both moved away. If you are a father, cherish these times. You won't believe how quickly they will be gone. God bless. P.S. Give them a hug and tell them you love them every chance you get. This father's advice is so profound. It is so practical. It is so good. He says to dads from his own perspective, be present, be active, be involved in your kids' lives. Demonstrate in a way that is unmistakable your care for them, your concern for them. Leave no doubt in their mind that you love them. That's the same thing our Heavenly Father does, isn't it? That's what God does. He is present and active in our lives. He leaves no doubt of his love for us. God loves us. But the question I want you to wrestle with just for a few moments today is, what do you do with that love? What do you do with the Father's love? Are we merely meant to be recipients of God's love, consumers of his love, or is there something more, something else? Jonah was the recipient of God's mercy and God's love. God called him, and what did Jonah do? He ran the opposite direction. He disobeyed God. He tried to distance himself from God and from God's will. And he found himself in trouble, and he cried out to God, and God rescued him. God reclaimed him. God loved him. And the next part of the story of Jonah shows us that love doesn't stop with us. That in this world, we are to be extensions of God's love. Quick review. It's been a week or two, right? God called. Jonah ran. Boat sailed. Storm arose. Sailors hurled. Fish swallowed. Jonah prayed. Fish hurled. God saved. God recommissioned. Jonah preached. Nineveh repented. What happened next? Chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did, talking about Nineveh, and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. First of all, I want you to notice very quickly, and this is important, notice God responded to what Nineveh did. Their sorrow was evidenced by their actions, not by their intentions. True repentance is more than words and want-tos. True repentance, in fact, the word means to turn around, to do a 180, to stop and say, I'm not going that direction any longer. In fact, look in the text. What did Nineveh do? At least in this moment, they turned from their evil ways, and God showed mercy to them. Well, how would Jonah respond to this incredible response by Nineveh? I mean, doesn't every preacher want to see some visible response when they preach? Doesn't every teacher want his or her students to, to do something, to think something, to feel something? I mean, they want some response. That's the whole purpose for teaching. That's the whole purpose for preaching. So surely Jonah is excited 
about their response, right? Let's look. Chapter 4, verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah, dial back the drama. Goodness. A little bit of an overstatement, right? Jonah says, I would rather live in a world, or I'd rather not live in a world where God shows mercy to Nineveh. I would rather leave. Dying is better than living in a world where God is showing mercy to Nineveh. Wow. Not what you expect. And I think, in a strange way, this is a comforting part of the story because it reminds us that Jonah is human, that he is not a one-dimensional flannel graph character with a simple arc for a story, that he is like us, that we are like him. There's layers, there's complexities, there's good days, there's bad days, there's nuanced faith, and there's struggle. Can you relate? Jonah is one of those relatable characters in Scripture. First he ran from God, God rescued him, And now he's trying to distance himself from God's will again because God is calling these people to repentance. He used Jonah to do that. And Jonah is not on board. And God has a quick response for Jonah. Verse 4, But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry, Jonah? Jonah, you want to talk about what is right and what is wrong? Really, you want to go there? You want to be the self-appointed arbiter of mercy? Hmm. Why do we sometimes limit God's love? This story shows us a lot of things. But when we think about God's love, I think it shows us two important truths. Two directions of God's love. Almost like two sides of the same coin. They're interrelated and yet they're two different directions. Things that sometimes we struggle to apply in our own lives. And the first one is this. It's a simple message, one that you've heard before, but one we all need to hear, and that is, you are loved by God. You are loved by God. The subtitle to this series is The Depths of God's Love, kind of a play on word with depths and Jonah. We think about the fish and the water, the sea. But that's what this story is about. It is about God's love. It is about his mercy, his grace. And Jonah makes that declaration about the character of God. Verse 2, I knew, he says, I knew, God. I knew this all along. Everyone knows. You're a gracious God. You're a compassionate God. Slow to anger. You're abounding in love. God, that's who you are. It's your character. You are made of love. God is love. That wording, that verbiage there is used throughout Scripture. In fact, in some ways, Jonah is using God's words against him from Exodus 34, this statement that that God is slow to anger, abounding in love. Throughout the Old Testament, God is described this way. In fact, a word used here is a Hebrew word, hesed. It's used over 240 times 
in the Old Testament, many times in Psalms. But if you were in Bible class today and you looked at Daniel's prayer, you saw that word has said even in Daniel's prayer. That's an important word. It means loving kindness. It means this, this steadfast love, this devotion, this love that is rooted in something beyond feelings, but a covenant, a commitment. And, and we can't even fully understand it. Maybe the closest thing we have is a committed husband and wife who truly love each other, committed to each other. Maybe on this Father's Day, a good example is a father or even a mother who loves his or her children no matter what they do. They're always going to be that child's mother or father. And there is a love that extends beyond circumstances, beyond conditions. What if that child rebels? Well, we still love that child. It's a steadfast love. It's a real love. It's a rugged love. As one scholar claimed, the entire history of Yahweh's covenantal relationship with Israel can be summed up in terms of hesed. It is the one permanent element in the flux of covenantal history. The one permanent, the one constant, the common theme, the common thread woven throughout the story of God's people, even to today, God's said, his undying loving kindness toward us. God loves you, no matter what happens. As Paul declared in the New Testament, nothing can separate you, nothing. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you believe that? You've heard it. You've maybe even said it. But do you live as someone who is loved deeply by God? Because it makes a difference. It shapes your perspective of the world, of yourself, of other people. You are loved by God. Jonah was certainly shown God's love and mercy, wasn't he? God rescued him, he reclaimed him, he recalled him. Nineveh was shown God's mercy. They were evil, they were awful. And yet God relented from judgment on them. You are loved. But here's the second part of that. Here's the other side of that coin. Here's the other direction. As God pours his love to us, you might say vertically, there's another part to that love, isn't there? We are to love others. You are to love like God. You aren't just loved by God. You are to love like God. You see, Jonah was right. He was right on with his proclamation of God's love. But man, he was missing it in his practice of God's love. God does not intend for us to just absorb, just consume his mercy and his love. He calls us to be extensions of his love, of his hesed, loving kindness in this world. And we know that, and yet sometimes it's certainly a struggle. Why do we struggle? Why do we struggle to see other people and love other people like we want God to see us and love us, like God does see us and love us? Why do we struggle with that? We know God's love is intended to move through us, to pour from us, that we are a conduit, if you will, of God's love. And yet so often it stops with us. Why is that? There are some obstacles there. There are some barriers there. I think they are revealed in Jonah's story and we can relate to them. And the first one is simply perceived injustice. What did Jonah say? 
verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. Jonah is assessing the situation. He went to preach as God called him. The people repented, and he looked at that and thought, this isn't right. God is showing mercy to them. This doesn't seem right. Basically, what he was saying is, God, this isn't fair. This isn't fair. Have you ever said that to God? God, it isn't fair that I'm going through this. God, it's not fair that I have this situation, this suffering, this hardship. God, it's not fair because I'm trying to do the right thing, that I'm suffering, and there are people that I know who are doing the wrong thing. They don't care about you, God, and they're prospering. God, this is not fair. You live long enough, and it doesn't take long. You realize that life is not always fair. And yet, as ambassadors of Christ, as representatives of the kingdom of God, trying to bring heaven to earth as much as humanly possible with the help of the Spirit of God, we recognize that one of our roles is to bring justice to this world where there is injustice, to right the wrongs that are around us, to fight against the misuse of power and privilege, to speak up for the oppressed. And yet at the same time, we know that that job is never ending because life is not fair. And the truth is, in the kingdom of God, when it comes to God, we are all people of privilege, aren't we? We have all been given something that we do not deserve. We haven't earned it. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. And yet God pours out his grace and his mercy and salvation on us. We are people of privilege when it comes to God. But be careful. Be careful how you view that privilege, how you view that place of salvation. Be careful about keeping score. You may not like where it goes. You see, that's what Jesus told some people who said this isn't fair. He told this story, this parable, we call it, of the vineyard workers in Matthew chapter 20. A landowner hired some people to work in his vineyard, and he hired some in the morning, and he hired them throughout the day, and then at the end of the day, it came time to pay them, and he, all, he paid them all the same thing. Well, you know what those hired that morning said. What did they say? This isn't fair. Hey, man, we've been out here in the hot sun all day long. Look at all the work we've done. You're going to give someone who's just worked an hour the same amount you're going to give me? And I've been out there all day long? And the landowner says this in verse 15. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Boy, think about that question. Am I envious because God is generous? Why would we ever envy God showing mercy to someone? Well, they don't deserve it. Well, guess what? Neither do you, neither do I. We don't deserve it. That leads to our second barrier. The second barrier is callous prejudice. Why did Jonah get so angry about God showing mercy to Nineveh? Is there a chance? Is there a chance? We don't know for sure, but is there a chance that Jonah did not want God to pardon Nineveh, Assyria, because they were outsiders? They were mean. 
nasty Assyrians. They were not part of the covenant people of God, Israel. Did Jonah believe Nineveh didn't deserve to be forgiven because they were different? You see, the truth is most everyone has prejudices. We are socialized, we are conditioned. We each have a vantage point on the world that lacks comprehension, a comprehensive view. We can't, we can't understand and see it all, but we can acknowledge our prejudices and we can expand our worldview and we can seek to erase and change those prejudices with the help of God. You see, Jonah struggled with God saving them. So who is your them? Who is it? People who look different? People who choose to live differently? People with a different set of values? People who talk differently? People who you don't agree with politically? People of a different nation? Who is it? Who is the them for you? Prejudice, all prejudice is grounded in fear. Fear of something or someone that is unknown, that is different. Fear of losing something that is valuable. Fear of the unknown, of change. Fear of admitting that you were wrong. Fear of social pressure and on and on. And scripture tells us that there's one thing one thing that drives away fear. What is it? Love. 1 John 4, 18. Love. Perfect love. said, Real, rugged love. God calls us to be an extension of his love. And we allow so many things to get in the way of us doing that. And of course, the overarching barrier, obstacle to expressing love is simply selfishness, prideful selfishness. I want you to notice the two different prayers that Jonah prayed. In chapter 2, when he's inside the fish, he is in desperation. He is hopeless. He is helpless. He cries out to God. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. But you, Lord, my God, you brought my life up from the pit. God, you rescued me. In chapter 4, it's a little bit different prayer. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. You see, in chapter 2, he's basically saying, God, save me. In chapter 4, he's saying, God, don't save them. See the difference? From a broken heart to an angry heart. From desperation to resentment. From self-awareness to self-righteousness. Do we sometimes assume that God does not have enough mercy, enough love, that it's limited? That it's like you're a you know, group of people sitting around a table and there's one pizza on the table and you're doing the pizza math and you're like, okay, I better get what I can right now because there's not going to be enough. Is that what we think? Jonah himself said about God, you are abounding in love. That means you're limitless, God. Your love is limitless. You're abounding in love. There's plenty of love to go around, so share it. Share it. We must look outside ourselves. 
And so as we wrap up, let me just ask you a real practical question. As you begin to apply this message to your life, because that's more your job than my job, because I don't know where you are, I don't know what your circumstances are, but you do. So what does it look like for you to be an agent of God's love in this world? What does it look like for you to be an extension of his said, this loving kindness, this real, rugged, devout love? What does it look like at home, in your workplace, among your friends, with your family, co-workers, total strangers, people who are different than you, people that, that you disagree with? What does it look like? What could you say? What could you do? What could you not say or do that would at least move you in the direction of being an agent of God's love? Dads, this, this is important for us. God calls us to be agents of his love in our world, in our homes. Maybe you saw the story recently about the former NFL running back, Peyton Hills. He was at a beach in Florida last January with his family and there was this huge rip current. So he had to jump in to go out and save his niece and his son, the young children who were out there playing in the water and the, the, the rip current was pulling them out to the open sea and he saw it, he jumped in. And, and to hear him tell the story is just heartbreaking because he had to swim past his son because the niece was farther out and he said, you know, if I got my son first, she would surely be swept away. So he had to grab her, swim past his son, get her back, go back out, get his son, and then bring him back. By the time Peyton got back, he was struggling. Some of his organs had shut down. They had to metafly him to the hospital where he was in ICU. He recovered. He hasn't yet fully made a full recovery, but he has recovered. And he was interviewed on TV very recently, and... He said, 100%, this was a miracle. It's a 100% it's a miracle that no one died. Someone should have died. And the interview went on, and he tells a story. And at the end, the interviewer asked a final question. He said, people are saying you're a hero. Do you call yourself a hero? Hill said, I, no, I'm no hero. So the interviewer had a follow-up question. Okay, well, what do you call yourself? You know what he said. He said, I call myself a dad just a dad dad sometimes you feel pressure to be a hero we even use that language sometimes about you some of the cards you'll get today probably say you're my hero and that's great that's fine no one expects you to be a hero we do expect you to be a dad to be present and active to be an extension of the love and the grace and the truth of God to your children to your family to others let us see that in you. But of course, this message is not just for dads. The rest of us, we're not off the hook because God loves all of us and he calls all of us to be agents of his said, his loving kindness in this world. And you know what that means for you. You know what that looks like. And you know the places and the times and the people where you withhold that love. Remove those barriers with the help of the Spirit and be an extension of God's love in this world because our world needs the love of God. If we can help you today, let us do that. Let us encourage you. If you need to confess sin, 
We'd be glad to support you and pray for you. A couple of our shepherds and their wives will be in the parlor room right here behind me. You can exit out any of these doors, make your way there. They'll pray with you and encourage you, or you can come down to the front, and we will do that as a church family. Maybe today you're ready to say, I want to live for Christ. I believe that Jesus walked on this earth, that he was the son of God, that he died on a cross, that he was raised from that tomb, and I want the life that he provides. Make that choice today. Be baptized into Christ. If we can help you in some way, we invite you to come as we stand and sing. Let's stand.